Thank you very much. Good to be here. We, uh, I came in Thursday, and, um, has, we, and my wife and children uh, came later, and um, we, we hang with Anne in the Vicarage and with the team here. I've been here several times, uh, so some of you I've seen before, I'm sure. Um, uh, besides leading that network that, um, that you talked about, uh, I uh, live in Aarhus in Denmark, uh, married to Sarah. We have four children, one wife, four children. There are days I pray that it would be opposite. And um, sorry about that, Joke. It just didn't work here. Um, and we, um, we are part of a church in Aarhus that has many um, similarities with this community, I think. Uh, Aarhus is a typical university city, European university city, and um, we are, I think, around eight or 900 in the church all in all. Uh, we have a student gathering in the afternoon, very similar to this, and um, there are many familiarities when I'm here. But I serve that church in Aarhus now half-time, especially reaching out to internationals in our city. So foreigners who, for whatever reason, stays in our city for a season. So that's my specific like calling and role in the church now. And beside that, I do some traveling and teaching and a consultancy. Uh, I was just in Kenya two weeks ago, and I'm part of a project of serving churches in uh, Africa in different regions. And um, I, can't, I can't help, I mean, I just have to tell you that uh, the growth of Christianity in Africa, I mean, in 200 years, it is now the continent it became, I think, last year, with the most Christians on the globe. And uh, it w globally, you do expect that in the next 25 years, up to 50%, every second Christian on the globe will be African. So do whatever you can to align. Find a way to go there, because that will be the future center of Christianity. Asia and Africa. It will not be Europe, not for a season. So, um, for, for better or for worse, I mean, I try to help on there, but I go there as much for my own sake to be tapped into what God is doing in that continent. So, if you have a chance, go there. Uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I would like to speak with you about God, who He is, and what kind of life He invites us to. I would like to speak to you about who God is and what kind of life he invites us to live with him. Uh, there was a, 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 a young person from our church, it could, in principle, I think, have been one of you, similar states in life as many of you, a student. He came to chat with me a while ago and he, he said this to me, Cal, I'm, uh, I, it goes well with my studies. I like the university. I like the group I'm part of at the university. I uh, love my life. I uh, go to the gym. I have friends. I hang with them. And when he said the difficulty in my life, the only thing that is like, difficult though, is to be a Christian and to have Christian community. And my first response to him was to say, in a, in a way, you got it absolutely right. Because to be a Christian, a Christian is one who wants to 
know and follow Jesus Christ will always be a journey where we are confronted with the given conditions of life, the facts of life. Death, we are all going to die. You don't believe me, I can see that. You're too young, many of you. And that's fine, you are going to die. You are mortal. I was actually, I'm writing columns for the local newspaper, I was with a meeting with them, and we were like introducing each other, all the column writers, and I, by some mistake, I came to say, my name is Kel, and I'm paid to tell people that they're going to die. And when I said, oh, why did I say that? How do I get on with the conversation now? But it is in a way true. A part of being a pastor is to tell people you're going to die. That's a fact of life. Let's deal with it. Another fact of life is that you are a sinner or an egoist or whatever you call it. You are a person who at some days will think more of yourself than on your neighbor. You'll take more care of yourself than your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. To be a human being is to be very, very vulnerable. Like that, things can change in your life and my life and we are very vulnerable. We can lose friends, relatives. So I said to that young man in my office, in a way you're right, it is actually sometimes easier just to skip the faith and live the happy life, your studies and your friends and your parties. But, I said, my observation in my own life and many other students I've followed is that in the beginning, it's more difficult to be a Christian than not being a Christian. In the long haul, it becomes easier. Because it is difficult to allow Jesus to confront my life as it is with all the facts of it and share that in brokenness with other disciples. And it's fascinating enough, it's opposite with living without God. Living without God appears easier in the beginning, but it will become more and more difficult life. If you don't believe me, think like this. Have you heard about the Ten Commandments? Anyone heard about them? The Decalogue, yeah? You'll maybe know some of them. And, uh, you know, do not steal, do not kill. Do not commit adultery. If you, if you make the decision over the next four weeks, I will intentionally cross all the Ten Commandments. You will have a difficult life. Yeah? I mean, who should I kill? I mean, even for me, that's a difficult one. To be a Christian is difficult in the beginning, but it becomes easier. And to live without God appears attractive and easy in the beginning, but your life will become more difficult. Why? Because this is it. You were created to live in community with God. You were created in his image. When I was a child, we made clay imprints of our hands in school. Do you still do that? Do you do that over here? Or is it just an old school Danish thing? You, you do it? You did it at least when you were young like me, yeah. But maybe you tried it, you make an imprint of your hand. God has put his hand, just take your hand here now on your chest. God has set his hand upon you 
and the imprint he left in creation that was lost in the fall can only be filled by his hand. Bono from U2 was interviewed recently and, and he said that any human being will either journey towards God or away from God. And when he said something fascinating, he said, for artists and poets, it will always be visible. That's our job. We cannot hide whether we are pursuing God or moving away. And Psalm 115 in the Old Testament, 150 Psalms, we have David's Psalms, Psalms of David. The 115 are going to help us now to discover more about who God is and what it means living with him. I think you will have it up there behind me, yeah. So we are in Old Testament, Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is that God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouth, but they cannot speak, eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Not to us, but your name be glory. Why is the psalmist praying that prayer? It's in a way a weird prayer. This is it. It's a psalmist saying, please free me from being God. It's a prayer not to be God in your own life, not to be the absolute authority and the source of life in your own life. Because if you and I are God in our own life, we're in a pure state. So it's actually a prayer to be freed from the one who should receive the glory, to be freed from being in the position where that responsibility is on my shoulders. I'm a broken human being. I cannot be God. It's a prayer that says, God, let no man take your place. Because when man takes that place, it ends in cruelty. Look at history. I have to admit, it's, it's painful to admit it, that people in history has done terrible things in God's name. They do have. But the, the worst three regimes in history, by all comparison, the Nazi regime, the Soviet Union, and China, the communistic China, the revolution in China, with the most casualties were all states who intentionally substituted God by the state. The cruelty that comes in the life of human beings when anyone else takes God's place is terrible. This is why the psalmist prays, God, let no man take your place. We are created in your image. You are the creator. And when the psalmist continues to talk about the idols, and I've been in Cambridge several times and been around even today with some of the kids, and I have not really seen many like 
silver idols or wooden figures of gods in that sense. They might be here, I haven't seen them. But we do have idols. We do have idols. They just look differently in our culture. So this old ancient poem from the Middle East, from a culture where you had wooden and silver and uh, figures to represent gods to be obeyed and worshipped, is maybe far away from us. But the thing that we place something in God's place that is not God is not far away from us. What is an idol? An idol is something that gets the role of God which is not God. That's an idol. That's a definition, a definition of an idol. An idol is something of a relative value. It might be a good thing that is given an absolute value in our lives. But the key point for the psalm is an idol is dead. It is not living. It is not living. It is dead. It's, it seems that it has hands, but the hands cannot touch us and show love and empathy and compassion. That's what defines any idol in our lives. The only power, the psalmist says, that an idol do have is to make us look like the idol, be as dead as the idol. So it appears as something that brings life, but it brings death. What is it in your life and in my life that has a relative value but will take the, it, it has the dynamic that it will take the throne and be like God to us? In the culture I live in, money can go into consumerism, and when it has become an idol, so money is of a relative value. It's a smart system to trade goods, yeah? But if we place it with more than that, we expect more than that in our life from it, it has become an idol. And we can be addicted to it. And lots of people are creating stuff and try to convince us and sell it to us because they know this dynamic. In Europe, lots of countries, also my own country, has, are now suffering from huge corporation who does tax evasion. You've probably heard about it in the news. It's billions. It's the amount of money these people has, has, has made fraud with is unbelievable. And I saw a documentary with one of the people who admitted it. And he said, it became an addiction. I had so much money, I could not even spend them. I think he had three cars and lots of apartments. But it, it kept, it had a dynamic, it took over almost like a spiritual force in his life. But as the psalmist is saying, it does not bring love, empathy, life. Think about porn. If you watch porn and become aroused or excited, you are treating yourself. Because the people you are watching in porn, they, they might have hands, but the hands don't touch you. They don't give you love, empathy, attention at all. You're just treating your brain by watching it. It's an idol. Because it's something that appears like life-giving and relational and exciting and passionate like sex is in its best format. It expresses love between two people. But in porn, 
nothing is really going on that has anything to do with my life. The, the person I'm watching in porn does not even know who I am. But my brain is, is treating. Or social media. Social media can express true love. Definitely it can. It can show true attention and, 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 and relationships. But lots of things in social media does not do that. I'm treating, I'm cheating, sorry, cheating my brain. And so on and so on. Idols do appear like they have life to give, but they don't give anything. That's a dynamic with idols in our culture and in our lives. Another man came to my office to talk in the church, and they, another young man, and he said, oh, Kel, can you pray for me? I, I keep thinking about women, sex, affirmation all the time. I hardly can do my studies. And when I think, I think the Lord reminded me of something that I many years ago read by your fellow over here, C.S. Lewis, in his most famous message, his most famous sermon that he did in a chapel here in Cambridge. And I'll read it for you now, because I shared it with that young man, and it goes like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. So I asked the young man, maybe your problem is not all your desires, but maybe they're not strong enough, your desires. And C.S. Lewis continues, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he or her cannot imagine what it meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too far too easily pleased, too easily satisfied, quote C.S. Lewis. That's a dynamic with idols. It's my desire who are far too easily satisfied with something that is not the real deal. It's not the living God. It is not his presence. So maybe we should not think our impulses and desires and struggle with attention is far too strong. No, no, after the fall, they're too weak. We have a deeper hunger that only the living God can satisfy. Satisfy. Jesus says in John 17, I have given them the glory, God's presence, that you gave me, he says in his prayer to his father, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prayed that we will be so affirmed in our community with each other and in him that we'll be like Jesus and the Father. A few, a few times in my life, God has taken me to that place. 
It comes as a gift. I was on an airplane a few years ago, traveling somewhere, I can't even remember where, and by, I have no explanation why, but while I was sitting there, and the, the play, I do not suffer from, you know, anxiety of flying or anything, and that, I had lot, lots of other issues, but not, not that one. I was just sitting there on the plane, and suddenly the presence of God was in me and around me. I felt his delight, his glory. It was like Jesus was literally sitting next to me. And I was filled with a joy. And I remember thinking, if this, if this plane goes down and I die, it doesn't matter, as long as this presence is with me. And the next thought was, you cannot think that on a plane. There are other people, <laughs> there are other people here. But I did, text, I did text my wife Sarah and said, God's person met me on a level where I just felt, you know, if I die, I would be in Narnia. And she said, she knows Jesus as well. Don't tell the kids. But it's okay. And coming home, I said to her, honey, I just had that taste of the sweetness of the glory of God in that moment. And I remember saying to her, that probably the kind of sad sense of humor we have in the family, if I have a heart attack, don't, hit, don't pick up the machine and begin to get me going. I'm in Narnia. And she said, you cannot say that before all the kids are happily married. So, and she said to me, I will literally take the iron and begin to wake you up. What I, what I encountered in that moment was the blessing of God. The word for blessing in the Bible means to be looked at in delight and with a sense of light. So when we bless each other, it's a powerful thing. It's a face encountering another face. C.S. Lewis picked it up in another wonderful piece of work, Till We Have Faces. Till We Have Faces. It's like we will be, only our true nature will, be, will, will grow and be called forth with the living God and not with the idols. And this is what's so fascinating about the New Testament. Because this happened around Jesus all the time. People felt deeply blessed. So there was something about that man that when he saw people, they had this sense. It's not just a human being watching me now. It is the living God. And the apostle Peter, who hung with Jesus and was fishing with him and had fun and discussed with him, one morning, he was bending down. He was a devout Jew in Israel of those days, and he said, oh God, because he realized it is God himself who has moved into my house in Capernaum, in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, John 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, 
That's what an idol wants to do, however it appears to you. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The word used here in Greek tells us that it's an ongoing thing to receive that life. No one in this room has had your share. No one here can say, I had my share. Jesus said, don't have more to me. There's always, always more of that life. If you're in a loving relationship, in a marriage, on a human level, it's the same dynamic. You can never say, I have received everything I can from my wife or husband. It's a relationship that keeps developing and going. That fits even on a human limited level. Was it, I can't remember, was it last year Odin Peterson died? He was a great man, great man. He, he, he translated the New Testament into the message. Some of you know that translation. And fascinating a translation in English. The message. He wrote another book about living with Jesus. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love that title. Living with Jesus is a lifelong obedience in the same direction. And the subtitle is Discipleship or Living with Jesus in an Instant Society, where everything is instant and here and now. No, it's a journey, it's a walk. With the same direction towards eternity, towards Narnia, towards the day when God himself will tear away any tear from our eyes. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. And as you live that life, I will finish sharing three things that has been helpful for me in that life. One of the quotes, other quotes by C.S. Lewis I love is where he says that the biggest struggle in a Christian life begins every morning when you wake up. I'm old enough to find that funny. <laughs> you know, we can point to so many big discussions and theological considerations. He says, it begins every morning. Because my old self, the old Kel, will begin to think, oh, what about this and this, and either be frustrated or whatever. And when C.S. Lewis says, but open your heart for that other kind of life, other kind of voice. And he says, as I said in the beginning of this talk, in the beginning it's difficult, but over time you will learn. So my first encouragement and recommendation to you, if you want to pursue this life I talk about and not satisfy yourself with idols, is encounter and meet with Jesus every morning. Meet with Jesus 
every morning, or at least one time during the day, if you cannot do mornings because your brain does. I mean, my brain actually functions really bad on the morning, but I still do coffee with Jesus in the morning. My wife does tea. She thinks Jesus drinks tea. We all know he doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but she will find out when he comes again. So find a way to have a little time with Jesus every day. Just you. Switch off the phone. Forget about the likes and your social media and your three different po profiles on Instagram. Just, just be, be with him. Share your frustrations. Share your, share your joy. And listen to the voice. Read the word, pray. And if you don't know how to do it, ask anyone you think could help you in this community. Ask anyone who think could help you. Or ask another one, how do you do it? Have you found a model? The best time of my day is every morning when I get up and I'm with God. And I'm not a morning type. I mean, uh, Sarah does it as well as I told, but we do it separately because I don't want really people to interfere in the morning. But I'm happy to meet with Jesus. Second encouragement, find one other disciple of Jesus that helps you against the power of the idols. Find one other person where you are accountable to each other. Where you can say to that person, that friend, would you pray for me because I struggled with this song. I need to confess I did this song. Will you hold me accountable to reconciling this relationship or whatever it is? Find a co companion with at least, at least one other disciple of Jesus where you pray for each other, support each other, and walk together. Third and final, serve other people. Serve other people in the days where you don't want to because you're too lazy. Serve other people. Just serve. Serve other people. I don't know how it is here in the city I live, uh, Homeless people are begging. Yeah? Is that begging? Yeah? And I, I often don't give money there, but I, there was a homeless person who helped me a lot. He said, will you at least look me into the eyes? Because it means a lot to me. Instead of looking away. Because of, often, not always, homeless people suffer from shame. So I began to say, whenever I see a homeless person, at least try to look them in the eyes and say hello. I might give money or not. It's a very simple thing. It's just a little, little thing that I think, just to illustrate, you can serve people in small ways during your day. You can serve in the church. You can serve in a team. Serve other people. So first, seek God's face every day. Find a companion, if you don't have one, where you share your journey and serve other people. Let's stand and pray.
God, not us, not us, but your name be given the glory. God, we ask you to take away the burden from our shoulders to be the absolute authority in life or the source of life. You did not create us to be autonomous, individual, lonely islands. You created us in your image, God. You put an imprint deep in our soul and we are restless until we encounter your hand again. So God, I pray for your hand. I pray for the ones of us here who might just be bumping in today, uh, never heard about you before in that sense. Show them, show them your hand, your love, your invitation. They might not know you, but you know, you know, you know them always. I pray for them to come home, to know that you're, you're real Jesus. I pray for the ones of us who can name clear idols that has brought death to our life. We, we thought they should bring life, but they didn't. Whether it's addictions, consumerism, approval of man, porn, whatever it is. We renounce the idols. And Lord, I just pray for this amazing community of young people. That they will find ways to see your face shine upon them every single day. That they will find companionship in this community. People to walk with and share the journey with. And they will serve each other. So that when people meet this community, they will say, wow, the living God is among them. We pray that in your mighty name. Amen.